This is the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. We help you grow your faith as you grow your business. And now, your host, Jesse Cole. Welcome to the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. I am your host, Coach Jesse Cole. Thank you for joining us today. We are excited about you, your family, your business, and what God is doing to you, for you, through you, and in you. Listen, all we want to do is help you win, and our mission is to help you grow your faith as you grow your business. Today's show is a special one, I'm telling you right now. I got a chance to sit down with one of my closest comrades, been knowing this guy for about 10 years now, and I finally got a chance to sit down and interview him and have a conversation about what it looks like to infuse kingdom into your civic leadership. How do you, how do you become a kingdom-minded civic leader? What does that look like for him? His name is Jay Hill of Jay Hill Speaks. You can go to his website, jayhill.com, J-A-Y-E-H-I-L-L.com to learn more about him and the work that he's doing here in this area, in the schools, and the leadership that he is providing not just for his neighborhood, but for these school age, these high schoolers, these middle schoolers who so desperately need somebody like him in their schools. I'm so excited about this conversation. I know you're going to get something out of it. Without further ado, here is Jay Hill on the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. Today we're going to have, we have a great time, man. So Jay, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, like what you do, why you do it, how you're adding value to the kingdom, all that good stuff, man. So I'm a, a person who likes to make people think. And the reason why I want them to think, because you only have moments to change your mind. And so a lot of people in a, are a lot of different situations because of their reacting and responding to something that comes towards their way. So through my life experience of always responding, not really listening, I've made a lot of <laughs> horrible mistakes, you know, then and that, then and now. And so I've just... I've challenged myself countless times over and over to listen a lot better. And I think that's key for all of us. And um, for me, learning from having four boys, two girls, and being married, you know, I'm on my third marriage. And so I know that the two other women, it wasn't them, it was me. Because I wasn't ready. And I wasn't the man that they needed. And I wasn't their husband. I was just a distraction in that time set because I really didn't seek God for my wife. I sought my eye candy to get married. So talk about that experience for you and how you've grown out of that. Well, I met my first wife when I was 21. She was in McDonald's. I walked past. I was in Milwaukee in the military. I seen her. I was like, dang, she's fine. So I walked in there and I started talking to her. One thing led to another. I was in Virginia. She was in Milwaukee. She moved to Virginia and never left and got pregnant with my 32-year-old son. And um, she ended up sleeping with another guy because that's where she was at. She was faithful to doing what she was doing. And I was in a good place as a husband. But after that, my whole frame just changed. Then I met my second wife in a club. You know, some guy was harassing her. So I told my boy as I was drinking a Corona and a, um, a Hennessy, I said, I'm going to marry her. And I went over there and helped her out. I don't even know why I said it. 
but I said it. Like, so it, it, it wasn't drunk talking. I, it was, I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was just, I don't even know what I was doing. And then, you know, they made a bit, they had a big bet that I wasn't going to get married. They had a big bet that I, when I decided to move to Michigan, which everything shifted for me. And I met my wife in March of 04 and we got married in December of 04. And I've been together with her now. March 13th was 16 years of being together, 15 years of marriage. So, but the difference between the um, the two previous women was I had a relationship with God, even though me and my wife didn't handle it right in the beginning part of our relationship, because we decided not to wait and we became intimate before marriage. It was just, I knew who she was from when I was in a pool room at the joy of Jesus, having a conversation and God was like, she's your wife. And now here we are 16 years into something that I've always had a time limit on how long I was going to be in a long-term relationship because of my pain and my hurt from my first wife. So three years was my limit. If I meet you, you got a three-year mark. After that, I figured a way to get out of it. So you you had commitment issues or you just had, you had what, what, what kind of issues was it, man? I don't, I don't know if it was, it was, it was commitment issues. Did you get bored real quick? It was, I was just, I've always been a freestyler. Okay. Gotcha. Right. So, and then I hung with people who had the same mentality. So that's how I was thinking. That's who my, that's who I was as an individual. So I spent a lot of time looking at different women to figure out how I can get them to spend their money on me. You spent all your time. Trying to get women to spend money on you. Oh, yeah, without yeah, a doubt, because yeah. I wasn't doing that. I was a lazy black man. <laughs> I think we kind of skipped ahead 16 years. Yes, sir. I want them to know about your story, man, because your story is amazing on how, you know, God brought you from a really dark valley to where you are right now, man. So t- talk about everything that's happened in your life with, with the addiction and all this other kind of stuff, man. Five years old, I'm laying in my bed, get ready to take a nap. And uh, we lived in um, East Hills, Pennsylvania, which is in Pittsburgh. And uh, my neighbor was babysitting me and she decided to molest me. So that perspective right there, not understanding in totality, but it had changed the framework of my thinking, me not knowing. I was the only child born in 1966. And um, my dad worked at the steel mill. My mom worked at the University of Pittsburgh. So we're upper middle class family, always moving up, like the Jeffersons, moving on up. And um, we moved, lived in a, we lived in the projects when I was real young that I don't remember. Then we moved into a new area that had new apartments. Then we moved. My mom and dad moved into the first house that they never brought. They always rented their whole life, and the house that they live in now that they've been in for over fifty years was finally given to them by the owner. But I moved into a neighborhood that was very diverse, and um, we I had a great child life as a kid, you know, playing outside, playing with cap guns, playing with water guns, BB guns, riding bikes, playing football, playing baseball, just a, a real-life 70s, 80s, 90s type of life. But then in 1980, my mom physically got hit by a bus, and so when she got hit by the bus, um, on uh, December 15th of 1980, around 520 in the evening, and my dad got a phone call. I was in the basement, and my grandmother was living with us because her house had burnt down, and she was over by the washer and dryer. I was over by the refrigerator. My dad was by the steps, and he walked up the steps, answered the phone, and came back down and said, you know, um, Gail, talking to my uh, grandma, 
and Jay, your you know JJ, your your mom was in action. So we went to the local hospital, Presbyterian Hospital. But come to find out, you know, your mind is saying, "Oh, a bus hit the car. It's not a big deal." But she physically got hit by the bus and got drugged a bus and a half. That chose that changed the whole my whole life in that moment on December fifteenth, where I became now not a happy go luck lucky kid, but a kid who was just angry. Didn't grow up in the church, you know, went to church. I can count on my hands. Um, but um, I just became angry because people just, you know, kids are cruel. So they, there was a song out, um, Double Dutch Bus. And they used that song saying, Double Dutch Bus going down the street, dragging Mrs. Hill going beep, beep, beep. And I fought and I talked about people and I became a discourager instead of an encourager. And um, when I was 16, I was sitting in the basement with one of my friends. And that's the first time I snorted cocaine and drinking slow gin and orange juice as he was bagging up his product. And then when I was 18, I, you know, I was, I was just, I transferred schools from an all black school to, well, school was diverse when in the eighties in the school I was in, but not that diverse. But then I went to a predominantly white school um, in my 10th grade year in 81, because that's what my dad and my mom chose. And it was a good school. Uh, I met some really good people that I'm still friends with today, but I was attracted to the people who were older than me and who were doing things that I wasn't able to do at my age, but they allowed me to do it. So why do you, why do you think you were attracted to people who were older than you and doing things that you probably never even thought about doing up until this point? I was always seeking to learn, and I, I've been a better person to learn because I'm a visual learner. So um, I didn't like school at all. Not at all. <laughs> but when I was around people, I can watch what they do and then I can pick up, a, pick it up and I can do it. I never was a real great basketball player, but watching a game long enough, listening to coaches long enough, I became a great coach. Not playing real football, but I became a great coach defensively on basketball and offense. So I can see something. I can figure out how to do it. Then I can figure out how to have a conversation around with it, with it and then it, it, it just got done. Let's let let's let's park right there because you're an educator. Yes, sir. You're in the schools every single day. Yes, sir. You're not only working with students, but you're also working with parents and teachers. Yes, sir. A student who is just like you, who may not be, uh, may not read, but they can actually catch a lesson, or they they learn by doing. What would you say to a, a parent or a teacher who has a student like that in their classroom who just doesn't? like follow the the normal mode of what a student is supposed to be. And they're always getting put out or kicked out of the classroom because of that. Well, our educational system is broken. So they're still using the same model than what it started. And so um, the, the character of the child, if you don't understand the character of the child and the story, the backstory of the child, then you won't be able to show the child their identity. It's like super important. And teachers, and, and not fault to all, but some teachers, teachers don't have the capability of doing that. They're, they already have a difficult enough time to handle a classroom setting with 25 to 28 to 32 students in the classroom. They don't have the management to handle that, let alone Johnny Bobby acting up and they're thinking it's a bad child. But no, it's not a bad child. They just learn differently. Or the trauma that they've been going through, they, they're dealing with it in the school. It just outbursts. And you're looking at it from one framework, but you got to sit back and look and say, okay, what is that right there? Why is that? But then you got to ask questions to make the, the child think, the parent think, and the teacher to think, to come together so that 
the ultimate goal is to raise a leader. If you're not raising leaders, what are you raising? And then if you always treat a child like he's a misfit, then that's what the child will base his identity on. And kids are not dumb. They're just misdirected. And you just got to put them back in a direction that they that their purpose is on. But I don't think our school systems are set up perfectly for teachers to be able to do that because of testing, because of this, because of that. They have a lot on their plate. So that's why I think it's necessary for character development, not only for the student, but the teachers coming in broken because they got issues from when they were 16 or 14 years old that they've never dealt with. And they're coming in there with their with their brokenness. And then now you got all these broken pieces and it's a big puzzle, but you can't put it together because you're so worried about doing this, that, these and the others. So we have a school full of broken students. And broken people. And broken administrators. Yes. And parents walking through the doors who are trying their best to make sure that their children are provided for. What is the solution for real, though? The solution is spending time to get to know people to build relationships. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the most greatest model that Jesus showed. It's, it's about building relationships. And you have to take time. But then your capacity is so, you know, limited that you have to have partnerships. But then people, um, they take this word kingdom and they make it very, like, it's abstract. It, it Take it to a place that it doesn't belong. But it's real simple. It's partnering with people with your gift and allowing their gift to partner with your gift and not be intimidated about what they can do. And and then y'all come together simultaneously and y'all do a great work together because unity is necessary. But we don't, we're always trying to make ourselves feel a certain type of way. We want to pat on the back and everybody has an agenda, but you just got to figure out what your true agenda is coming from God instead of your own fleshly agenda. The people who are actually... Um, the victims of that are the kids. Oh, what else? They don't. They don't care about titles. They only care if you care. Like, do you care about? Have you shown that you love me? That you care about me? It's, it's all about consistency because that's what everybody's looking for. You look for it as you were a baby that mm-hmm. your parents were consistently doing the things that you expected them to do. But then when you place expectations on people, they're not going to meet your expectations. So, but me as a mentor, me as a person who does discipleship, I got to be consistent in the people that God has assigned me to. And I can't be jumping to this, that, these, and the others. I live on the East side. So I work on the East side. When I first started J Hill Speaks, I would just go here, there, and everywhere because I was in survival mode, chasing money instead of chasing purpose. And when you understand purpose, then you can live out in that area of influence that you have to be a difference maker for your community. Um, I think it's necessary that you where, where you live at is where your most impact is because that's where you are majority of the time. But a lot of people travel for, like my wife in case, she travels 45 minutes for a job. But I know that because of what she had to learn at this job, when she brings back that information, it's going to impact our neighborhood that we live in. Mm -hmm. And that makes a difference to kids because they want to see you outside of the environment that they normally see you in. Mm -hmm. And if you work in schools, you know, 90% of the teachers don't live in our community. They're coming from a distance. They have kids. They don't have the same time as someone who lives in a community to bring impact. And so when it comes to services to schools, that is one of my pet peeves, one of my frustrations. You got all these great service organizations, and there's some great ones out there. It's more than just being in the school for your 
time you're supposed to be in the school to commit to the service that you say God has called you to. And, and if you're not um, committed to your community, then how can your community change? And you and, and the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's Mark 12, 1231. But 1230 says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind. And so in that strength. And so and at the end of the day, if I don't live in my neighborhood to know my next door neighbor that literally lives next door, I'm, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. How how are you how are you infusing kingdom into the work that you're doing? Like how are you purposely doing that? Well, my house is a community center, yeah. and so uh, we got Bible study every first and third Monday for our kids. We got Bible study for adults every second and fourth Monday. Um, we um, take kids to camp in the summertime. I do a camp in the summertime because that's all I have. And if I waste my moments on trying to glorify Jay, then it's just idiocy and it doesn't make any sense. So my house is my community center. The places that I work with inside of can be a part of that partnership. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, I want a partner. I want a partner. I want a partner. And we have a lot of mentoring, mentoring programs in this area, a lot of um, social organizations in this area. And many Many of us, I say us because I'm in some way in, in, um, in, entangled in that too. Not entangled, but a, a part of that as well. Many of us, we pretty much do the same thing. And there are a lot, of, a lot of us out here trying to fight for these dollars to make sure that our programs get to thrive and stay alive. Right. But very few of us are actually partnering with one another. And even though we have a myriad of mentoring programs, most of them are for young black males, we all do something different. Right. Jay does something different. Ebron and Associates does something different. Walk Like a King does something different. We have maybe four or five other organizations that we all do something in our specific area of gifting. And so there is no competition in the kingdom. I want to say that again. There is no competition in the kingdom. So this scarcity mentality that's been perpetuating for 20, 30 years, especially in this community, we have the power to stop it, that we have the power to change it. And I believe that we can change it by doing just one thing. Everybody coming to the table and saying, this is what I have to offer and offering that and we all supporting one another. I would totally agree with that. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's so difficult. Why, why is that so difficult? Um, one reason is time. Because everybody has their own agenda in the time that they give. And their gift comes with time. It comes with their talent and it comes with their treasure. Then you look at, well, you're abusing my talent or you're trying to take away from my pocketbook. You're trying to take from my wallet or what I have to offer. And I don't want to give everybody my content, my idea. And I, I'll say to people all the time, I've given people my total workbook. And so it's not yours. It was given to you. It wasn't like you came up with a great idea. The idea came from God. And so people always framework that this is mine. And that's that, that's that me mentality. And um, listen, it's not about domination. It's about cooperation. It's about knowing what you can do. I am not a person who can work with my hands. So I will not be fixing stuff in my home. 
I will call somebody who knows how to do it. I will build up my resource library and I can call specific people for specific reasons because I know that they can do a great thing better than I can. Because why spend four or five hours watching YouTube to jack it up, then to call them back to have them come and fix it? That just doesn't make any sense to me. You sound like me, man. And so at the end of the day, if it, and it don't have to be a ton of people, but my question to you is, are you the one? I mean, I can call out names, but I, I will not do that. But are you the one? But then we've had these meetings. So I'm challenging all you ones who are listening. We've had these meetings where we're saying we're going to collaborate. We're going to come together. And even now, in the situation that we're in now, we are being led to unify. Hear me. Led to unify. First, with your family, because this gives you a lot of family time. Stop worrying about your income if you're connected to the king. And even if you're not connected to the king, someone connected to the king is going to give to you so you can survive. So you don't have to worry about that. I know your situation is not my situation, but I know, and I know that the, the men that I have chosen to live my life with, I know they've been through the same thing I've been through with no food, no refrigerator, no gas in a truck or a car and have to choose where you have to go before you go because you didn't know when the next check was coming. I know what it is to be in business for over 13 years to starve and maybe take less so my kids can have more. So at the end of the day, unity is necessary, but we say unity, we say, you know, inclusion, we say um, to be diverse, we say all these great words, but our egos, our pride, our frustrations, our experiences, our behaviors get in the way from us really doing what we need to be doing. And it's a God agenda, not a Jay, not a Jesse, not a Andre, not a whoever else. It's a God agenda. And if you go in with the peace of God in your mind and you're pursuing his peace and seeking his peace, as it said in his word in Psalms 34, you're handling your business that way, then you'll be able to move forward into what God will want us to do together so that we can leave a legacy that people can capture and be a part of. And they're like, man, my great, 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 great grandfather was a part of that. And now that gives me the strength to know that I can get through what I'm going through in 2060. We're in 2020, 40 years from now, I'll be 94 if God gives me 40 years. If I'm still living, I won't be doing the same thing. I'll be in a different season. I'll be a lot, I'll be doing a lot more watching and I'll be in my Moses phase of just giving information and stepping back and watching the younger do what they need to do. Like we own nothing. We don't own our homes. We don't own our cars, our families, our wives, our kids, our community. It doesn't belong to us. And like everything belongs to God, right? And so we have to make sure that we don't take this, this grinding, this hustling, this ownership mentality into this kingdom work because the king owns everything. The king owns your mentoring program. The king owns your business. The king owns the, the place that you work at. We own nothing. So when you come from a place and you have the posture, the heart posture that this doesn't belong to me, then you begin to um, transform your mind around this whole thing. I, when, I was, when I was a kid, my, my mother used to say something, two things to us. She would say, if you borrow something from somebody, make sure they get it back in the same shape or better shape than what they yes, gave sir. it to me. Yes, right? Sir. Or oftentimes we would go on these trips out of town and we would stay in the hotels. She would actually make us clean the room, clean the room up. 
and make up the bed, wash out the the the, the bathtub and everything. And I was like, Mama, the the person is coming that's to clean the job. Clean that that's that, that's what they get paid for. And she was like, This room doesn't belong to us. We have to make sure that we leave it in the same condition or better than what we found it. And the same thing applies to the work that we're doing. Right. This work doesn't belong to us. We have a purpose, which is why we were created. We have an assignment, which is how we demonstrate it. But we are not responsible for the results. Without a doubt. And, w- and whatever harvest we get from this, does it belong to us anyway? We can't take it with us. We've never seen a U-Haul following a hearse. It doesn't belong to us. So we have to make sure that when we go into this work, whatever you're doing, that you go in with, the, with that mentality, God, I want to manage your influence properly. I want to make sure that you're glorified through my family, through my marriage, through my work, through my civic leadership. I want to make sure that I hide behind the cross when I do this work. I don't want them to see me. Yes, you can use my life as a platform, but it all belongs to you. And I know some of you, it may sound corny, it may sound super churchy, but when you get to the point to where it don't belong to you, then God can really use you to do the work, man. I'm just taking notes because yeah. I'm getting nuggets. I just want y'all to know. I'm getting nuggets from the wise guy. And so, so Jesse, so, and so my challenge to all of us is, what is God challenging you to do in our moments of dealing with this spread of this virus? But let's flip it. Let's be a virus for Jesus and spread his word even more. Even though we might be isolated, but it's how you're isolated. Isolation could be good and bad. I would rather be in my closet with God and be isolated with him instead of being isolated by myself and thinking about my miseries and my pains and my money that I don't have and the things that I'm going through. And I'm totally focused on that, which is taking me to from anger to bitterness to depression to being suicidal. But I just think that we need to figure out what this isolation really means in our households. And what God has been dealing with me, even in my own household, he is. Um, he told me um, the other day um, how I need to start. Um, he said. I, he said this. He. He. I asked a question. What is God saying? And he said, "Worship needs to happen at my home even more. Fix the atmosphere in your home." So, um, I really am in the stewardship of making sure before I move and making decisions that I make sure that that's what God wants me to do. And what what, is, what does that look like for you? So let's set the stage. You have this decision you need to make. What are you saying? What do, what, what are you asking God? What does that process look like? Or is it even a process? It's an all-day thing. It's a many-day things. It's moment things. It's like asking him, like, God, okay, I don't know. Like, even when I met with um, you and Andre about having a conference myself, my first conference, and I knew that that was what God wanted me to do. But then it, my life was just going through so much that I was I was rushing into something that I wanted to say Jay did, right? I want Because I was looking for, you know, the accolades because I struggle when I see all these people that I really don't know them, right? I don't know them, know them. You know, I don't know 
you like I should know you. I don't know Andre like I should know him. I don't know Quincy like I should know him because we're not around each other every day, right? Who knows me really is my wife and my kids, right? And God knows me, of course. So it's it was like, I look at these different people like, man, God, what is that? And then I get caught up in comparison. And then I'm, I'm like, and so- Thank you for sharing that, man. Like, like, thank you for being real enough to say that, man. Like, as men, sometimes we have this this bravado where we feel like we don't. First of all, we don't need anybody. Second of all, it's kind of like a a, a pseudo competition kind of thing. Like, we're, we're seeing other people do kind of the same things we're doing, and we're like, I can do that, or why ain't that happening for me? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I and and so I look at it and be like, man, you. Tr-. So then I'll be talking to myself because I talk to myself, Jay, you tripping. You need to get your life together. I say this to myself, you tripping, bro. You need to chill out and get your life together and get back to what God is telling you to do. And so God like gave me, um, he gave me this. And, I, and, and I've been in this for f- five years. And um, But it says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. So I just want to be intoxicated with Jesus, you know, because that's the only way my mind is going to stay sober. I know that the enemy is going to come with that, a thought that I got to cast out immediately, but it's come to a point that I need to stop trying to, you know, um, put myself on the throne and be able to surrender to the Father. Like one of my favorite songs is Surrender because I, it constantly reminds me that that's the position I need to be in because that's the, if you look at the Martha and Mary story and you look at it, one was working and, and I don't want to be a worker always doing something. I want to be the one who submitted to the father and doing what I need to do. But the backstory of her doing what she did when she, when she surrendered to the father is what he did for Lazarus and that she realized that, man, this guy was dead and this guy came along and he did exactly on what he was supposed to do. And he rose and, and it was his friend. But then now she's looking at it from the perspective like, oh, my God, this is the king. And God has given us so many opportunities for us to see that we need to surrender, that he's the king. So what like what does surrender look like? I'm, I'm, I'm going to lay that on you and then I'm going to share, you know, what, what, I, what I believe it is, too. So I'll give you some time to really think about it. Um, I was in that place. I was I was like Martha, just just going and going and, and grind mode and, and hustling and I even wrote a book called Go Getter that I didn't even that I put on that I didn't release really, right? I I think God didn't want me to release that. But just in this place of just going, going and going and proving and proving and proving and I would go so much that my body would respond by like shutting down. And I would like shut down for maybe like two or three days. And I thought it was, I was going through a depression, but it was really like, my body was like, sit, sit your butt down somewhere. And rest. Right. And, and rest. Seven. And so, so even though, even though I learned how to rest my body, my mind wasn't resting. And even though I learned how to rest my body, there was no rest in my soul. And so it was up until recently, when I say recently, maybe last year, that I understood the value of like resting my soul. And like what that really looked like, what like what did it mean to rest my soul? For me, it meant like just stop worrying about what tomorrow's going to bring. Really have faith in what God said He's going to do for you. 
understand that you again that you don't own nothing that you are just a good steward understand that what you when you look at your bank account like that's not that's not what it's going to be forever understand that what's going on in your marriage like it's not going to be like that forever like really learning how to rest my total self and like not worry not worry about what i can do or what somebody else can do for me not worry about different platforms i want to get on not worry about trying to write the next book to get more status to try to make some more money to build another coaching program like he was like sit your butt down somewhere and submit to these unforced rhythms of grace like like when I, when i read that like unf- and i'm a music guy and i'm a vibe guy so when i hear like the scriptures say submit to my unforced rhythms of grace like what does that mean like that just means that i don't got to work for it that's right like all all i got to do is just be obedient to what god told me to do and he takes care of everything else and that's not laziness that doesn't mean that you don't do your part right right we know that faith without works is dead being alone but here's the thing even the work that we do has to be spirit led work it's not intellectual work right. it's not physical work it's like okay god what do you want me to do how do you want me to move what work do you want me to accomplish even our work has to be spirit led man yes sir yes sir yes sir and once once i once i learned how to submit to that life began to be more like a lot more easier for me and get this i didn't have to go get things it came it came to me because you you have more, I would rather have joy over happiness. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? And so I want to be able to live in his joy instead of living and being happy in the moment. Mm-hmm. And we always live from, we have this microwave thinking instead of doing it the old school. Like at our house now, we got it remodeled, but we don't have a microwave. So my kids are tripping. Like they going through that. We don't have no microwave. We should have a microwave and the microwave can go here. Blah, blah, blah. We got a dishwasher. We got this, but we don't have no microwave. And I said, we're going to do it old school. We're going to take our time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm teaching them. Like, and then God has told me not only to be a deeper, a deeper sense of worship in my house, but God told me to outserve my kids and my wife. So now I like yesterday I made breakfast and I made dinner and that's not my norm. And so now I'm going, I know what I'm making tonight. And, and this time is family. And my daughter wants to go over a friend's house. No, you're not going over your friend's house. Mm-hmm. We here together. Mm-hmm. Um, well, dad, you get to go somewhere. Amen. We went outside yesterday. You didn't want to go outside, but you're not going over no friend's house and no friends coming over here. This is our time to grow together as a family. Because I look at from our structure of our family and what we've been through over these last 24 months, it's been purity. Heck, like it's crazy and but simultaneously it says this and and this is why i know god has had me on this cuz it says in verse 10 of first peter 5 6 to um 11 but in verse 10 it says and after you have suffered a little while the god of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in christ will himself restore confirm strengthen and establish you Ain't that all we need, man? So when I think about surrender, I think that I know that I have to suffer and I don't want to because it sucks. I, you know, I, I look at even 
being here and my dad and my mom are in Pittsburgh and I got to depend on my family to go check on them and take them this, take them not, trying to convince my dad not to go out a lot and just chill out. You know, you already got a deep freezer. Y'all got everything you need. Just stay in the house. If you need somebody to bring your paper, I'll have somebody to bring your paper. But for me, I'm suffering because I just, I'm not ready for my dad, my mom, or Pastor Terry to die. Right? I'm not ready for that. And I'm just like, God, you know, I want your will, but I really don't want your will because I don't want them, I don't want to deal with that suffering because I just don't have time for that right now. So once again, I'm being selfish. It's what I want instead of what God knows the needs to live out eight Romans 8.28. You know, all things, right? Not some things, but all things happen according to those who are called according to his purpose, not my own purpose. But a lot of times we live this life and we want to do the things our way. We want to grind. And I don't use grind. I believe in shifting. We got to shift into the mode that God will want us to do. Even though there's going to be struggle in between the first and second, the third season, the fourth, the fifth, the eighth season of our life. But I want to be able to shift with the Holy Spirit by his grace and move where things are coming my way instead of me trying to force my way and breaking down the door. When God clearly says he'll open it up for me. What is grace? People always say unmerited favor, right? It's this thing that you get that you don't deserve. And I know there's things I don't deserve that I've gotten. What is like? What does grace look like in, in your life? And what does grace feel like in your life? My wife, my, uh, my kids, um, God, um, that I still have three older kids that are living. I don't talk to them, but I can still send them a message. That's grace. Even though they don't respond, they know I care. Um, My mom talking to me more than she ever has. She's noticed that I'm not JJ anymore. And, um, my dad being proud of me because he was a hardworking dad. He worked since he was 14. And they've been married for over 50 years. And um, my family in Pittsburgh knowing I'm not my family and friends knowing I'm not head or doughboy but I'm Jay Hill who loves Jesus who represents him who lives for him what I'm hearing is like God is giving you time like he's giving he's he's giving he's giving you time he's giving you time to like really understand what his grace looks like and feels like for you. You're talking about your parents and you're talking about the people that you grew up with. You're talking about your family, even your children who aren't responding to you. Like grace looks like time for you right now. God's grace, man, is unbelievable. Amazing. Like when I, when I think about grace, if you have a bill, you have a grace period, right? Right. If it's due on a 30th, they give you like the 15 day grace period. 
And what all that is is an opportunity to get it right, to rectify your stuff, right? And so as you were talking and I was hearing time, like that's what I was seeing, like God has given us opportunity to get it right over and, and over, over and over and over. If he tells us to forgive 70 times 70, how, how often times 7 times 70, how often, does he forgive us? how much forgiveness does he have? Like God loves you, man. Yeah, I know I, this podcast is to help you grow your faith as you grow your business, but maybe you, you don't even have a business, but you can be about your father's business, right? And you need faith to do that. So we're here to help you grow in that area as well. Like God loves you. And his love is something that you don't have to earn. There's nothing that you can do to get away from it. You can't go high enough. You can't go low enough. Like nothing can separate you. Nothing, no, no, no crack pipe, no weed, no sex, no manipulation, like nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing can separate you from his presence. You can't go anywhere in this world and not be, not, not be present with God. I want you to know right now that he loves you, that you are forgiven. And that he's knocking at your door right now. And all you got to do is just open it. You don't got to be perfect. He doesn't call us to be perfect. He just calls us to be faithful. And just open to change. And don't allow your fear to cripple you. Yeah, man. Allow your Feed your faith and starve your fear. Feed it. And the only way you're going to be able to feed it, even if you're picking up the word for the first time and you don't know where to go or what to read, Get with a mentor. Get with someone who will help you and disciple you. Get with individuals who will walk with you through this process of reading the Gospels or going through the Minor Prophets or going through the Prophets or going through the first five books of the Bible, whatever the case may be. But allow the Spirit of God to lead you so he can help you grow. And eventually, as you continue to be intimate with his word, it'll become like 3D to you. And then you will be reading something that God will give you a, re a revelation of what that really means to you. And even as you study and you understand the content and the history of the word and you do the exegesis of the scriptures and you, you know your hermeneutics and you know all these different technical terms that people even use. But really, what is the greatest technical term that you can ever use? Love. Just love and a relationship with the Father. I mean, there's nothing like Abba. I, I, you know, the only reason I'm, I am where I am right now has nothing to do with Jay. It has something to do with the Father. And I had to go through my bumps and my roads and I can tell you about my story and different things that will come up eventually one day in a written format. But at the end of the day, it's all about him. It has nothing to do with you. When I met Jesse, there was there's nothing that I won't do for Jesse. I won't do for Andre. I won't do for Quincy and I won't do for many others. But I just because God has equipped me to be able to be to be giving unto people instead of trying to hoard it for myself. If I got one issue, my issue is I got an issue with shoes. Praise the Lord. Ain't <laughs> that wrong with shoes, man. I, yeah, but hey, man, I have a real bad issue. You ask my wife. But I just wanted to bring a little laughter to the moment. But if, even if whatever we can do to come together, you just got to be able to let us know what that looks like. Because if I can be a support system then I am. But if I can't, I probably, without a doubt, in my resource library, 
and my phone numbers and emails, I know someone across this country that can support you as an adult, you as a young person, and you as a child, without a doubt. Well, Jay, I appreciate your time, man. Um, we didn't even get into 10% of your story, man, but God did what he wanted to do. I know that somebody is blessed. Somebody will be transformed because of this this content. And I, I feel the need to say, um, stop living in fear. Don't live from a place of scarcity. Operate from a place of wisdom. And ask God, God, what is your best for me? And I promise you that if you have that posture, God wants to share that with you. He wants to share that with you. He loves you. His grace is sufficient.
Thank you for listening to the Kingdom Mogul Podcast. You can support the podcast by subscribing, downloading your favorite episode, and sharing the podcast via social media. Don't forget to visit KingdomMogulCoaching.com to find more resources to help you grow your faith as you grow your business. Remember, what you want to become depends on your willingness to become it.